0: I keep a date in the back of my mind, which is 1998, because that's the year I did my first tour, and people born in 1998 are coming up for 24 years old, which means that anybody younger than that my comeback to any criticism as I've been touring since before you were born, which is quite good.
1: Hey guys, James Wilson-Taylor here for Rock Sound. It's the latest of our video calls. Frank Turner's new album is just around the corner. I'm delighted to say that via Zoom, we have Frank on the line right now. How are you, Frank? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Not too bad, man. Not too bad. I understand you're hard at work. This is signing day at the minute, right? This is signing.
0: Well, so yeah, everything, well, it's not the first signing day, but like, you know, we've, uh, we had a bit of a a moment where we realized that I hadn't actually signed all the records that we've sold as signed records yet. So, um, uh, some lovely people from the label are here helping me out. Um, I have uh, about 5,000 records to get to. Uh, before I'm allowed to stop today, um, and it, but you know it's all hard work to do with the record. And if you, I'm going to do a couple while we talk, if you so don't mind, because otherwise, absolutely
1: fine. Yeah,
0: I'm going to be here until two o'clock in the morning, so uh, might as well crack to on. To keep you off
1: schedule, if you get any hand craps just let me know. It'll all be fine. <laughs> we'll
0: power on through. Yeah.
1: Um, well, let's get into it though, because this this is a very exciting time to talk to you. Like we say, this record you are currently signing is right around the corner now. Finally, yes. Right. It's called FTHC. um Tell me just a little bit about. When these songs started kind of coming together for you, I imagine like everyone else over the lockdown period probably had a lot more time to think about this sort of stuff, right?
0: I certainly did um, uh, after I'd finished Netflix um, uh, and all the rest of it. But uh, I mean, I would started writing material um, uh, before the pandemic was a gleam in anybody's eye. Um, I I had maybe 10 songs and the plan was I was going to go to L.A. and record those songs in the summer of 2020. And I was thinking, I'll write five more and then we'll put 12 on the record and three B-sides and standard issue and and as i've often done in in recent years sort of record made almost as a pit stop from tour do you know what i mean um and none of that happened as you might imagine um and so in the event i end up writing 28 songs for this record which is quite a lot more than i usually do and not only that but reworking a lot of them rewriting some of them um and you know i also my one of my lockdown projects was getting into music production myself and that uh, i'm producing for other people now but you know among other things i mean i was able to kind of demo in more detail uh, and just to make use of these endless acres of time that we all had um so you know essentially even before the pandemic i was thinking this was going to be a record that was a bit more kind of aggressive musically dare i say it punk although i'm aware that by using that word i will cause myself more jo- more sadness than joy but anyway um and, and also kind of a return to a more autobiographical kind of raw confessional style of writing which i've done in the past but it's been a it's been a few records um and so th- these ideas were in play already but the lockdown intensified all this, and what would have been a couple of steps towards punk rock became a, a kind of howling yell and run down a hill. You know what I mean? So, and here we are.
1: Yeah, which I imagine is why one of your kind of central collaborators on this record is Rich Costey. You know, if if people aren't aware of Rich's work, go and look at pretty much every big rock album by any British artist from the past kind of decade. You know, um, but I imagine working with him must have helped bring that out because, like you say, you know, you're clearly gravitating towards more of a more of a heavier sound. Dare I say it? But certainly more of that kind of straight, straightforward big rock sound.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, I made a record with I made one record with Rich before um, in 2012. We made Tape Deck Heart, and um, it's a funny thing. And I think I can say this in a way that he would agree with. But it was a reasonably bruising experience that record because he didn't really know who I was, even though it was my fifth record. He didn't really know who I was before we started, and I didn't know what it was like to get properly produced, right? And because uh, I've made my records with my mates prior to that, and I came out of the experience feeling a little bit like I've been beaten up, um, and. But it went on to be my most successful record, and like in the interim, I've made records with other people because you know I, I like to switch it up anyway. But Rich and I have both sort of like, you know, stayed in contact, kept an eye on each other, and, and um, there was this moment where I was like, I think I, I've got unfinished business with Rich. I think we, he and I can make a better record, you know. No, I mean Tech Big Heart remains my biggest selling record so hooray, but um, <laughs> we're going to top that. Um, and uh, you know, so it, and and he was like. You know, I think he said to me, "I I feel like I understand you more as an artist now, and I'm 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 ready to go down this road." So it was a really cool collaboration. The other thing with Rich, so I parted ways with my long-term drummer um, in 2020, which was a sadness, but these things happen. Um, And uh, so for the uh, and I now I now have a new drummer in my band, Callum, who's fantastic. But in the interim, we made a record. So Rich turned around and said, "Well, I know a couple of drummers," and I was like, "Yeah." I bet you do. Um, do Yeah, yeah, so we had Dom from Muse play drums on The Gathering, which is the first song we did for the record, which we recorded separately because it was kind of a trial run to see whether the remote recording thing was even going to work. And weirdly, it actually worked really, really well, um, because there's a focus to it. You can't waste half a day fanning about with a vintage guitar amp or indeed showing each other funny cat videos uh that you found that morning or whatever you just show up and you work um but yes yeah, so we did that and then elan from nine inch nails played the the share of the rest of the record and again i mean rich was like so i know this guy called elan Rubin. and i was like i know who that is <laughs> do you know what i mean like and said that to me like I don't know who that is. Um, and he did a he did a great job. He's going to go far, that boy. Um, i do
1: okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I he reckon. Okay. If the um, old nine inch nails and angels on airwaves situation hasn't helped him out, yeah.
0: Either. I mean, he is already in the rock and roll hall of fame, but nevertheless. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so you know, he did a fantastic job. And like, given that it's a more musically aggressive record, it was very important to me to have the drums be in a certain place because you know, the old cliche only rock as hard as your drummer is true. And it was really important to me that that kind of bedrock of energy and aggression was there to carry the rest of the material and, and yeah, they pulled it off.
1: Oh, oh, they certainly did. Now, it's, not, it's nice to see you kind of capture that sound in a, in a bigger way like that. And, uh, it brings to, you know, I always ask people about album titles, as cliched a question as it is, because it genuinely fascinates me. But I've already seen you say in a, in a previous conversation with us over here at Rock Sound, you do kind of in a way view this, although it's not strictly a self-titled record, it sort of feels
0: like it could be, right? In that sort of traditional yeah. sense of it. It's, it's about as close to a self-title as I'm ever going to get, I think, really. I don't think I could put out a record that was actually just called Frank Turner that. <laughs> like, no, thank you. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it is, I guess it is sort of self-titled, yeah. And I mean, the FTHC thing's been hanging around for ages. And as I'm sure you know, it's a kind of a gag on the old hardcore logos from the 1980s. You would be staggered by the number of people who don't know that. Um, which, there's no value in that. There's no, there's no better or worse in this, but like it's just a thing I know and a lot of people don't and they're like what does it stand for and I'm like really uh so then I tell them it stands for hot custard hot couture hates cats or you know, I don't know. but do you know what I mean you can just sort of come up with whatever nonsense you want to come up with but yes it does stand for hardcore. hot custard is
1: the best one there I like yeah it. I know that was
0: my that was my guitar tech suggestion so uh that might be his, his breakaway covers band at some point.
1: <laughs> you never know. Man, Mr. Trick there, I really feel like, yeah. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the kind of recent singles. Let's particularly talk about A Wave Across the Bay, which you know is obviously sure. such a, a kind of poignant moment. I'm, I'm sure people are well aware of Scott Hutchinson's work. And I would ask where this kind of idea started de- to develop. I mean, clearly you wanted to pay tribute to him in some way. How was it channeling that
0: into a song? Well, this is a thing that is, is is difficult enough for me to talk about it that the process actually made it into the lyrics. Um, because I'm like Scott, I'm a pretty kind of rationalist, atheist, skeptic kind of guy. Um, that's just the way I look at the world. Well, no no problem with people looking at it in other ways, but that's my take on it. And um, ultimately, I guess the thing is I'm a songwriter and I've been a songwriter for most of my, if not my entire adult life. And I tend to react to events in my life, particularly emotionally extreme ones through the medium of song um so it's not sort of a surprise that i um that something came out but actually in the event what happened was about three or four months after scott's passing um i had what i suppose i would call a lucid dream starring scott um and i've never had one of those before and i've never had one since and in my dream he came into my room with a guitar and showed me a few chords and told me some words and a melody and i then woke up which my wife can attest to because she's like what are you fucking uh and um and went next door and kind of made a note you know a voice note on my phone and wrote scribbled some stuff down and went back to sleep and I got up the next day and I would say about two-thirds of the song was there and um you know ultimately it's a bit spooky it's ultimately it's it's an elaborate form of grieving I think is what we're really discussing here but um in a way like I didn't so my point in in telling the story is like I didn't really decide to write the song it just sort of arrived um and it wasn't hard because it just sort of went bloop, and it was there um, of course there would be many hard parts to it i mean doing the vocal takes wasn't easy and um it's still it's not the easiest to play if i'm honest with you um though, though i will because i think for reasons we'll get to in a minute but um uh, and then of course once i finished the song i made a demo and i sent it to grant Hutchson, the drummer from frightened rabbit scott's brother because as I think is immediately apparent, it's not a song I could release into the world without some sort of thumbs up from the family, you know? It's a visceral and pretty like um, intense lyric, you know? And to his, I mean, Grant, who I didn't know especially well, um, has been an absolute sweetheart. And he said, I think my brother would want you to put this out. I think that as a band, we dealt in emotionally intense music and it would be hypocritical of me to try and censor this in any way. And, and indeed, we're doing it as a benefit for the Tiny Changes charity, which is the some family charity and, you know, it's sort of it's it's come together but i mean it's many things as a song it's a lament it's a song about suicide but ultimately and this is why i want to release it and why i want it to be a single and why i'm gonna play it live is because it's a celebration of my friend you know and um there is a degree of acceptance going on i it breaks my heart that scott made the choice that he made but he made that choice and i want to be able to just kind of go with that and i the belief that he found peace in that is is important for me
1: Yeah, no, very, very well said, man. I think a feeling shared by a lot of Frightened Rabbit fans and also community musicians alike who've been around to support that band. Amazing, amazing work there. Um, I want to look back a little bit because obviously one of the things before this record we saw you put out was um, that split album with No Effects. What was that experience like? I suppose, uh, in a collaborative space, but also, I mean, yeah, it's got to almost be a bit of an ambition for, you know, clearly a band that inspired you over the years to be able to do something like that. that's amazing, right?
0: Yeah, it was sensational. I mean, I, I grew up listening to Effects, They're one of my favorite bands. I made friends with Mike about 10, 15 years ago, and, and that's weird enough in itself. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I've got his phone number. Um, you know and it was like as much as we try and sort of be equals when we hang out and when we talk as musicians one of us had posters of the other one on their bedroom wall as a kid and the other one didn't um, anyway so uh, you know it was amazing to be friends with him um, and then but the thing is two musicians hang out you go hey man love your new record or whatever you just say that because it's just good manners or whatever and um, you know Mike would say oh, I like your songs and I'm like thinking to myself he's being nice we get along Um, and then he turned around and said uh, um, would you be interested in doing a a cover split like we did with Rancid and I was like I know you did one with Rancid I bought it on the day it came out Um, and if you had told me in 2002 that the next time NoFX did a split it would be with me I think I would have uh, burst into flame probably (laughs) Um, so it was an amazing experience I mean it was cool creatively I adore their band hearing a band that I love play my songs is a very very trippy experience and a wonderful one having the opportunity to kind of really delve in and sort of reimagining um some of my favorite songs was really cool as well it was also really fun doing like country versions of no songs because there's a certain type of no fan who is not open to that um and uh and i enjoyed that quite a lot um but yeah i mean and, and i have to say it was pretty instrumental in some ways in this record going this record FDHC going the way it's gone because in the process of making that record and then the kind of the reception of it and releasing on Fat records, um, and all this kind of thing. And I just felt a little bit like I'd sort of returned home in terms of like presentation and it's you know i i think as an artist you have duties to go away from home quite a lot of the time and and i'm very proud of my electro pop record and my history podcast record and every other thing that i've tried but it particularly after two quite left field records in a row it was just kind of like uh, that experience and also we did uh, we did punk rock holiday festival in slovenia it was like descendants and pennywise and all this kind of thing and i was just walking around thinking yeah this is this is home actually and i haven't been home as a musician for a while and maybe i'd like to try that um and you know and so that that's that was a big part of the reason these songs came along uh the last thing to say incidentally by the way doing a split with no effects is the punk rock blue tick in life i mean it's just in argue at this point
1: <laughs> absolutely no i don't think anyone would disagree with you on that one for sure and speaking of things from uh from 15 years ago and all these experiences i know you've acknowledged it on social media recently yes. not to make you feel old but that's 15 years <laughs> since the debut man that's uh <laughs> That's a a while.
0: Yeah. It certainly is. I mean, my my first album has got its first, it's got a paper round. Do you know what I mean? And it's... uh,
1: Oh God, it can almost buy lottery tickets soon. Yeah,
0: I know. It's thinking about its GCSEs and all the rest. And um, I did an interview the other day for a student newspaper and the people doing the interview opened by telling me that when my debut album was released, they were four. I was just like, why would you tell me? Why do you know who I am? Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Like. Um, but they were delightful Um, but yeah I mean it's a crazy thing Uh, you know there's something quite liberating about it in a funny way because um, and indeed doing a ninth record and still standing you know like what precisely I mean essentially no one has to like what I do I'm not under the impression that anyone's ever gonna like that everyone is ever going to like what I do that's ridiculous and I'm I'm not even sure that's a valid thing to want as an artist anyway Um, but uh, you know nine records in uh, and still operating at the level I operate at it it definitely can't be complete dross (laughs) do you know what I mean and like you just win a certain argument by going for a long time do you know what I mean and there's no cliches about your ninth record and it's quite freeing in a way um, and like and you know I keep a date in the back of my mind which is 1998 because that's the year I did my first tour and people born in 1998 are coming up for 24 years old which means that anybody younger than that my comeback to any criticism is I've been touring since before you were born which is quite good and like I remember at the time thinking this is quite good but it could be better and like um, and that was a big thing about Love Iron Song the next record which I think was better but like um, coming back to you know I have done a few I did a playthrough through the record for the 10th anniversary and when I was doing my live streaming last year I played it in full and you know with the, with the distance with that much distance you know you can almost approach the idea of listening to it as a third party never exactly but it was quite nice to go yeah there's some, yeah, there's some good songs on here you know and like even the ones that in my mind I'm like Egh. it was like actually no I can see because it's such a huge thing to write and then arrange and then record and then mix and then release a song. It's got to have something to make it through that entire process, you know what I mean? And it was just like, oh yeah, I see. There's some cool bits in this. Even the ones I really don't like, you know? <laughs> which I'm not going to tell you which ones they are. Ah, <laughs> oh,
1: damn. There's the next question you There we go. Yeah. Um, before I let you go, Frank, we've got to talk about live stuff, man. I know you've had a chance to play a couple of shows here and there, and obviously, you know, tours get moved around as everyone's tours has. It's very, very frustrating. Yes. But. I mean, just from a basic point of view, you must be absolutely desperate to get out there and play these songs in particular, because it does feel like one of those records that's built for those live rooms, those big, big audiences.
0: That is the, or indeed small rooms, any size rooms, a room with people in it, a room with the right number of people in. Um, Yeah, it's very much, you know, it was recorded remotely, as I mentioned, which is kind of weird, but it was conceptually always supposed to be a record that was designed to be played in a packed room. And I can't wait to do that. Um, You know, obviously at the same time, my job is to travel and gather people together in confined spaces. You know what i mean it's not brilliant during an airborne pandemic but um uh you know and i've never wanted to be part of the problem or making people ill you know or whatever so there's a degree of kind of judgment call that comes into it at a certain point um it can be very frustrating um i have to remind myself that first of all everybody's in this boat and secondly you know it's not as important as like healthcare or whatever, like my records, you know what I mean? Um, so, you know, you have to have a bit of sort of humility about it and just try and do your best. I'm sort of professionally obliged to be an optimist right now. Um, so, yes, coming to a town near you soon. Um, we had to postpone the, the first leg, the, the I've got to get this right, the Great British, not UK, the Great British leg of the tour. Um, but we are starting in Belfast now and we'll be back around in the UK as soon as we can. And ultimately, people will have had more time with the record by then, so hopefully uh, they will be ready for the sing-along bits.
1: Yeah, definitely a few plus points in there we got to pick out. So that's no, it's Exciting. It'll be great to see you guys back out on the road. Um, I'll let you go, Frank. I mean, I've got to ask, though, I've got to check in now. How many you reckon you've signed during this time? We've
0: they, been they oh, during the time we've been talking a oh, couple yeah. of hundred, couple of hundred, maybe, maybe. That's not, maybe? Bad. That's not yeah. bad.
1: About 20 minutes or so. That's what was that rate per minute? I'm not sure. Actually, actually, not actually
0: I might be exaggerating. Might be more like a hundred. Okay. <laughs> I'm just I, I'm trying to I'm trying to believe that. It's, they won't tell me how many are left, but there's a but there's a van outside full of this stuff. Oh my God, um, there's a
1: van as well. I'm just watching the boxes come in, but if there's a yeah, van yeah. too, you are going to be there
0: a while, my friend. I will. I'll uh, I'll going to be drinking more coffee. It's going to yeah. be all right.
1: You'll power through, uh, Frank. Pleasure to talk to you, man. Best of luck with the release.
0: Man. All the best, man. Take it easy. Good to see you. All right. Frank, see you later.